show that wants to do the right thing in any situation. For example, what is the right way to turn off a computer? Go on about your bloody ex on the first date. <laughs> We're at the Soho Theatre in London. I'm Danielle Ward, and with me trying to do the right thing today, on my left, he's the spiritual successor to Rick Mayle in that he's a nightmare to work with and he won't be on telly ever again. It's Michael Legg! <laughs> Utterly flattered by the word again. <laughs> and with him, star of Derek and therefore facilitator of Ricky Gervais's continuing mental breakdown, <laughs> Brett Goldstein! Oh dear. <laughs> and on my right, she's so Catholic when she took a Which Sex in the City character are you quiz, she got Miranda's belt. It's Margaret Cable Smith. <laughs> <laughs> And with her, like the bastard offspring of a Wookiee and the entire Bullingdon Club, it's Humphrey Carr! <laughs> There's only one way to start a show like this, and that is with round one. The importance of being right. Just like a primary school teacher who wants to show her pupils a picture of a woodcock, I've run into some unexpected problems online. In this round, I'm going to give each team a scenario and they're going to tell me what is the right thing to do according to a book I found in a skip and also the internet. Margaret and Humphrey, bored of your current partners but not sexually attracted to each other, you decide to start tag team dating and put a postcard up in your local newsagent window asking if any of the locals fancy buying you dinner. You get one reply. However, your suitor is a total toss piece who thinks women are only good for cooking and cleaning and having babies and devoted UKIP. After a quick consultation at the free salad bar because he took you to a harvester, you decide you'd like to leave, thank you. So what is the right way to escape from a bad date according to cosmopolitan.com? Leave a harvester? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm not sure what I'm getting out of this. So far, it's me and Margaret and another man on a date. <laughs> and whilst I have no problem with that, it's not really my cup of tea. But surely uh, that's personally. even more reason to escape. But did, did Margaret fool me into thinking that he was bringing a lady friend? No. Oh. God, I really am extremely polite. <laughs> it's true. Well, have you ever been on a bad date, Humphrey? Yes, I've been on one really bad date. So, get a load of this, gang. I got picked up once at the baggage carousel at Heathrow Airport. By what were you doing on that? Yeah. <laughs> Someone mistook you for something. Yeah. Uh, well, as an outsized piece of baggage, yeah. uh, I get removed first. No, a lady picked me up, you know, in traditional, hey, so how's it going? And she was very attractive and I was very excited and we went for a date. Which was Immediately? Uh, not immediately, a couple of days later, we met up in Camden Town. Already the first mistake, because <laughs> neither of us were trying to buy psychedelic Viking hats. <laughs> uh, and therefore there's no need to be in Camden. Uh, and she was very beautiful, a uh, very complicated character, uh, <laughs> who, over the course of our date, I'm quite straight-laced gang, over the course of our date, she offered me, initially Vicodin, I mean, we've all done that. Is that a sort of pet? That's a super hardcore pain-relieving pill. What was she doing yeah. to you? Do you... Uh, she, oh, no, it was just like she'd open a bag of M&Ms. Uh, like, oh, do you want one? So, uh, well, no. Uh, then we proceeded through an increasingly serious selection of drugs until the horse was offered. Uh, heroin, heroin, uh, as the kids, I believe, call it these days. 
Uh, and then she told me she was an American, but couldn't go back there because she'd be arrested. Uh, and then was she taking one of these drugs? Every drug she offered, was she, she taking one she herself? Popped, herself? She popped a, a few Vicodin and a couple of Eckies. I'm down with the, the lingo of the kids. That's Eccles cake. Ecstasy pills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, ecstasy pills crushed up in Eccles cakes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, by this stage, I was all at sea because she was not interested in talking about Xbox games, which is <laughs> pretty much my number one topic of conversation. I, I went to the loo about eight times. I didn't, and at what point? Use it. I just went and hid in there. Escape. I, I somehow found myself back on the tube with her and then eventually got off three stops early and changed to a different line. <laughs> well, and moved, that's was... when you moved to America. And that's when. <laughs> yeah. That's I, one way out. I do now live in America where she is legally not allowed to enter. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, yeah. I don't think I've ever been asked out on a date. Ever. Wasn't there someone who asked you out because of Do the Right Thing? And didn't you fall asleep on her or something? In, <laughs> in, in a bar. <laughs> yeah, oh, now he's remembered, guys. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, the, the veil has fallen. <laughs> his memory. Oh, yes, of course. Sleepy Yeah, all right. I've been asked that once. <laughs> I went on a date uh, years ago. This has nothing to do with it, you know. I, I, was, I asked someone out on a date, right? I was so excited about taking this person out. I, I thought, I'll take her somewhere really cool. And I took to this bar called Gordon's Wine Bar, which I thought was cool. It's not. <laughs> and uh, and now I took her to this place. She went, oh, this looks nice. I went, yeah, it does look nice, doesn't it? And I thought, I'm really grown up and sophisticated. And I said, what would you like to drink? White or red? She went, white, definitely not red. I went, oh, don't like red? She went, no, I've only ever had it once. When I woke up, I shat the bed. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. We had a glass of wine. That was the date. Because it's really hard to get... Get past Shit that. out of your brain <laughs> on the first date. So I take it no one's been on a blind date then? Loads of people have. <laughs> I always think it's weird that Gary Lineker, who only met his wife like 10 years ago or something, claimed that they were set up on a blind date. How does that work? It's a blind date for him, but for her. You know, oh, what's he look like? Well, he's Gary Lineker. So he'll look like Gary Lineker. It's ridiculous. Brett Goldstein, have you ever used Tinder? I have, yeah. It was a disaster. I wouldn't use it again. It's like being an evil casting director. <laughs> you're just like, nah, they're not right. They're not right for this scene. And you don't have a, you, you don't have anything other than the picture and you know I'm very shallow but uh, it turns out you do actually sort of need to sort of speak to someone a bit because when they turn up they're suddenly three dimensional and awful and you've you, and you, and you realised oh yeah you, there are sort of other steps actually aren't there I met this girl she was really beautiful I think there's a theme and I was supposed to meet her at 6.30 which is quite early and she didn't turn up until 7 and she was absolutely fucking hammered <laughs> completely hammered and we went to this restaurant she was so rude to all the waiting stuff and then she started a fight with someone and then turned to me like you'll deal with this and I thought no and I really wanted to say to the person I don't know her we, only, we just met I'm sort of on your side I'm in a terrible position here and um, I mean we're married now and um, <laughs> 
Humphrey and Margaret, Hi. how would you escape from a date with someone? They're a horrible person. Flashbangs. I did, I did once leave a work party that I really didn't want to be at, and it was pre-mobile phones. So you know that emergency call you have where you go, oh, my sister's having a really bad time. I went and made that call myself. <laughs> I went away to a, a payphone and said, well, I've just rung my sister to check she's okay. And she's not. I'm going to have to go. Um, so is your suggestion go to a payphone? Get someone to ring you. I know that's a bad Humphrey, thing, how would you get out of this uh, date? I'd fake a pregnancy scare. Mm. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Producer Ben, what is the actual answer? Well, they gave quite a few suggestions, Cosmopolitan. Um... I'm going to give Humphrey a half mark. And I'm for gonna flashbangs? Give, uh, no, uh, for lying. And I'm going to give uh, Michael a half mark, uh, for reasons I will explain in a second. So, they say you could just get up and walk out, but sometimes it's easier to avoid a scene by coming up with a creative excuse. Their example is, start rummaging through your purse whilst becoming more and more agitated, then mutter something about losing your keys, wallet, or a winning lottery ticket, and insist that you've got to go and find it. <laughs> Chances are the jerk won't offer to help. But uh, I think uh, pregnancy scare is sort Basically of uh, a lie. thing, isn't it? Yeah. And then, uh, Michael, your half mark... I mean, this was actually seemingly, possibly, the person you were on a date with doing this to you. I don't know. But uh, they suggest gross him out. Oh, good. Something oh, like... So, that's so, what she was doing. <laughs> I think the red wine shitting yourself yeah. is a bit like, uh, gross him out. Anyway, so half a point to each team. Yeah. Yay! Michael and Brett, finding yourselves with a bit of post-Edinburgh downtime, i.e. no work, you decide that what the comedy world is missing is a nice place for stand-ups to go and meditate, so you pull your leftover birthday money and build a rockery. It's so tranquil, the birds are singing, the bees are buzzing. Oh no, a bee has just stung Lee Evans in the throat! <laughs> you can't let him die, but there's also no phone reception. Lee can't breathe! So what is the right way to perform an emergency tracheotomy according to the worst-case survival handbook? <laughs> I really feel like you've put me under a lot of pressure now. I, I think Lee's going to die. <laughs> right, have you ever witnessed a life or death situation? Uh, I once saved someone's life with the <gasps> Heimlich. However, oh my gosh! Well, is the thing suddenly much more attractive? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Look at me on Tinder. The thing is, I. Uh, uh, I used to work in this nightclub, let's call it, in, in Marbella. And in the morning, we went to this 24-hour restaurant, like 7 in the morning, and we got a table and we were sat next to these mafia people, right? And the wife of one of the mafia suddenly started choking, properly choking. I've never seen it when it actually really happens where she's like... And she stood up and no one did anything for it. And then I was, in my head thought, we well, have to do that thing where you do the thing, but I don't really know the thing. But I thought, it's weird. She's not, I don't know her, but there are other people who do know her, but no one's doing anything. But I think they were too shocked. So anyway, I stand up, I go over, I hug her from behind, do the thing. Eventually, she sort of pukes and comes out and she goes, oh, amazing. And her friend goes, wow, you saved her life. And I go, thanks. And then I look up at her husband and her husband has not stopped eating his steak. And he looks at me like, you fucking prick. <laughs> oh my I was nearly afraid. Oh, my God. He looks furious. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Yeah. Shall we stop and go home? Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what to say. Yeah, no, you could have just killed her and made it up to him. Yeah. <laughs> I almost did the opposite of what Brett did, which was uh, my best friend literally was choking on something. And I blame her for this. I said, <laughs> I, I said, do you want me to pat you on the back? And she sarcastically shook her head. 
And but I didn't know she was being sarcastic, so I was I'm like, sarcastically dying. She said, "Yeah." She shook her head, so I was like, "Oh, she's just having a cough," and I wandered off. And it turned out she'd <laughs> swallowed a small piece of biro. Um, <laughs> someone did slap her on the back, and she choked out. But she said, "Why didn't you say me?" I said, "Well, why didn't you?" Ask for help like a normal person instead of employ sarcasm as a dying. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've done something genuinely heroic. I put someone out who was on fire once. Did you? Wow, well, with what? them to the ground and rolling around. Uh, it was a Christmas party I was at university and he was dressed as a snowman and, and he, he wrapped a load of cotton wool around himself. And, and then someone didn't realise how flammable cotton wool was. Oh my God. And as a joke, was like, wee, with a lighter near him. And he went up like a match. Uh, and everyone was like, fuck, fuck, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I know, you're supposed to like fall on them and then like roll them around to the fire. Like a grenade. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the same thing. And then I was really furious because basically after someone was like, did you see that? It was awful, it was on fire, it was on fire, it was on fire. And then he just sort of went out. <laughs> what do you mean? He didn't just go out. I, I, but you can't say that, that's not what heroes do. I was just like, did yeah, you get yeah. any burn off it? Burnt hands a little bit, but like not, nothing. He had like he had to be wrapped in like more cotton wool. Yeah, and like, <laughs> yeah. I know what's it called? Cling film. That's they a proper hero. Up when you went into the and I just you know I just never brought it up again all the time on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> We've established Humphrey and Brett are both heroes. My, in, if you were in this situation, Michael, do you think you would? Do you think you'd be heroic, or do you think you'd just run away crying? Can't you do both? <laughs> I, I've been a hero. I've been a hero. Have I, you? Yeah, yeah. I, I've saved someone's life. When? when <laughs> Hear the it? mocking laughter, Michael. <laughs> well, I was at Hammersmith train station, and a woman fell down the, you know, the concrete steps in Hammersmith, and like smashed her head up. It was, it was fucking terrifying. And like the good British public that we're used to, everyone looked at her and then got on the train and got on the van. Went, oh fuck! Fine, I'll do it. And went over and took my coat off and like made sure her head was secure and she was completely out. And I realised why people don't go over to help people because you go and run, oh fuck, they're going to die and I'm the last person they'll ever see. What a shit exit. <laughs> so there I was holding her hand and asking her name and sort of trying to get her, you know. Uh, she didn't recognise me. It was, yeah, it was, that was rude. Do so you think, think you were rude. Dave Gorman? <laughs> yes, yeah, so yeah, That's a better way to go. <laughs> Dave Gorman, let me go. Oh, no, no, I don't. I know. But she, hey, she was fine. And she even uh, emailed me and all that stuff. Like, uh, uh, I mean, we haven't seen each other since. It's a bit rude. But my point is... Um, my point is, the next day, I took my coat to the dry clean. My coat was caked in blood. And I just went... Oh, yeah, it's a lot of blood because uh, I saved someone's life. And they're like, no! And then they washed the coat, and whenever I came to pick up my coat, they went, no, you don't have to pay for that, it's all in the house. And that's how killers get away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll simplify the question for you two. Should you attempt a tracheotomy if the person is gasping for air? I'm going to say yeah, because you know what? I've had a couple of drinks. <laughs> I think you're supposed to do it with a biro with a, a hole in it. Yeah, you're supposed to take a biro without the lead in it, whatever it is. The <laughs> yeah. ink. Stab them in the face. No, stab them. Yeah. Stab it in the throat and then walk away. <laughs> so you've got your pen. Yeah. Brett just stabs it through the throat. Yeah, he's Very gone. Strong. Yeah. You've got to look for the gap just under the Ooh. Adam's apple on the fellas. You whammo the old pen in, and then I think you have to blow down it first. Or is it Because stuck? you get like a plug of flesh. You've got to <laughs> blow that out, and then, and then it clears the airway. Oh, okay. You're but you're blowing it into. Their into yeah, you blow it into their throat, but it's only a tiny thing. It doesn't really like. It's just like when you do that thing when you snort snot down the back of your throat. 
just a bit like that. Exactly. <laughs> you, like think, that. you think you're saving your life every time you do that, don't you? <laughs> Producer Ben, what is the actual answer? Well, I'm going to give Humphrey one well-earned point, and I'm going to give Brett half a point as well for starting the ball rolling with the old stabbing in the throat. Um, Thank you. <laughs> to answer the, uh, the simplified question, if they're gasping for air... Do the Heimlich manoeuvre before you attempt this. But basically, only use this procedure when a person with a throat obstruction is not able to breathe at all. Find a person's Adam's apple. Move your finger about one inch down the neck. uh, And there's another bulge below it. In between the two, that's where you make your incision. Insert your tube. Breathe into the tube with two quick breaths, which I assume must be to clear it. Uh, Pause five seconds, then give one breath every five seconds. You'll see the chest rise and the person should regain consciousness. Can I just say, if anyone listens to this podcast and performs a tracheotomy, we are not liable. (laughs) So at the end of that round... Uh, Humphrey and Margaret have one and a half and Michael and Brett have one point grab your biscuits we're dunking them in agony in this round I'll be asking the panel to have a chuckle at the lives of those beautiful idiots who help fund this podcast the audience but before that can happen I'm going to warm up with a real problem sent to a real actual agony aunt Margaret could you please read this out of course dear agony aunt My boyfriend is dull and rude and barely pays me any attention. Really, I should dump him, but there's a weird reason I haven't. He's got a third nipple in the centre of his ribcage, and when he takes his T-shirt off, his torso resembles a very kind-looking face. (laughs) This is a real problem. With, With his regular nipples as eyes... His additional nipple as a little nose and his belly button as a cute, surprised little mouth. Anyway, I've taken to calling this chest man Christopher and when my boyfriend is sleeping, I have long one-sided conversations with him about my feelings. Christopher's a great listener and although he never responds, it's clear he oozes compassion and sympathy. I've even started to develop feelings for Chris and taken to kissing his mouth stroke belly button when my boyfriend is snoring heavily. What should I do? Oh my god. You should definitely pass that letter on to your boyfriend <laughs> and the problem will be solved. You need to draw another nipple onto the bottom side so that that face don't look so nice anymore. It looks a bit sneery. <laughs> or you could just kill the boyfriend and isolate the body part you do love and, and marry that and be happy forever. Michael, do you have any weird fetishes in the bedroom? <laughs> Yeah, I like. I uh, I'm really into uh, people not enjoying sex with me. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, you're very candid about these things. You must have some fetishes you want no, to share. No, no, absolutely no. Perfectly normal. <laughs> <laughs> Just like it normal. Good old normal sex. <laughs> lovely, lovely normal. <laughs> Humphrey, any of yeah. your body parts named? Uh, I used to call my penis Jeffrey when I was very small. Really? I, I don't really know why. Because of Rainbow? <laughs> very possibly. I was, was a big Rainbow blocked? fan. Or because of Toys R Us. I think, <laughs> that's the name of the giraffe, isn't it? Yeah. Good, that is good knowledge. Thank you. I know all really the Jeffreys. Or because of the butler in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> Yeah, could, which I mean, which a, is more like your thing? Are those well, those three? really were those really were the triumvirate, is my view. Why? What, what do you call your? Um, I used to call my breast Margot and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
was one much more bossy than the other. <laughs> Michael. Well, what's, Michael. Your, what's yours called? What's your D called? Well, we've never really been formally introduced. <laughs> <laughs> We're still on just handshaking terms. <laughs> uh, I did um, go out with a guy who... Oh, I think he did call his penis a giraffe because it was really freckly. When you say That's... freckly, was it like big panels? I didn't freckles, look like at a... it, Humphrey. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look at it. I've never seen one. <laughs> I'm a good you girl. Them. You hear them a lot <laughs> <laughs> at night. They're coming for me, scratching. <laughs> <laughs> Against the window. Yeah, and the doors <laughs> and the floor. <laughs> A friend of mine at school um, thought that uh, that penises had uh, pincers at the end of them. And the way you got pregnant was if the pincer plucked a pubic hair from you. And that's how you got pregnant. <laughs> she had a baby when she was 17. <laughs> <laughs> Producer Ben, what is no? the actual answer that, the, that well, the agony aunt gave? I'm, I'm going to give Humphrey half a mark. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, Get committed. So this is a genuine agony aunt letter from... Um, Dear Dolly, in the Metro Herald newspaper in Dublin, and uh, she said, I'd love to say this happens all the time, but that would be a lie. You're a strange, troubled woman. <laughs> Normally I'd suggest a straitjacket, half a mark to Humphrey. Uh, but in your case, I'd worry about you developing an inappropriate relationship with the buttons on it. Best to put up with your dull boyfriend if it means you can indulge your fetish. Just promise you won't start introducing Chris to your friends. Oh my that's God. terrible advice. Yeah, that's terrible like really, advice. Really uh, irresponsible. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you've seen how a real agony aunt does it, let's see how you handle some problems from tonight's audience. Is Lucy here? Lucy with the flatmates. Not one of the best Beatles songs. Lucy with the flatmates. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy says, I live with four other girls and they never wash up, clean or do the bathroom. I've tried a rotor. I've tried just asking them, but nothing works. The place is now getting so gross, I found a frog and a load of slugs in my kitchen. Oh. Why was there a frog in your kitchen? Well, they tend to leave the back door open and we live by a little river and so yeah from, a little frog <laughs> came in sounds idyllic <laughs> oh no it's a shithole it's horrible <laughs> I think you should throw all of the washing up away and just buy all new Start plates again. and everything yeah yeah, yeah. and okay. make them pay for it yeah make yeah. them pay have I told the Mickey the Mug story on Do oh, the Right Thing no you haven't have. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> two friends of mine had oh, a flatmate called Mickey brilliant anyway all the cups went missing in their flat couldn't find any cups. So these two f- friends of mine just got like, you know, if, if you left a lot of cups in your room, now I've asked Mickey, there's no cups in his room. Don't know where the cups have gone. Then eventually one of my friends, his girlfriend, bought him a cup with his name on it and a picture of Donald Duck, right? But it's got his name on it. So no one will touch that because it's got your name on it. We're going to find. Anyway, two days later, the cup went missing. So he went, look, I'm sick of this. One of you two must have, you know, these cups in Europe. Went, Honestly, we've got no cups in the room. Then when they were both out, one of the guys went into Mickey's room. There was no cups around, but for some reason, he decided to look under the bed, and that's where all the cups were, with cum in them. So what he's saying is be grateful that it's not as bad as that. (laughs) Did you look inside the cups and there were, like, all different deformed Ripley's? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they were. (laughs) Was he building towards something, or was it just a... (laughs) Well, I know Norris McWhorter was on his way around. 
Uh, have you tried uh, taking all of the dirty plates and dumping them in your flatmate's beds? I haven't, no. And then being like, chew on that, cocksmokers. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then they'll be like, you're being really unreasonable. And you go like, you are. And then, and then if they keep arguing, just cry. <laughs> and if that doesn't work, come and everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Margaret, have you ever lived with uh, untidy flatmates? I mean, not more than me, no. Well, no, yeah, my, my husband's worse. And my child, but she is a tiny child, so... Are they <laughs> children that you're living with? No, they're all adults. Mm. Mm. <laughs> does make it more difficult. It does. You can physically dominate children. <laughs> I think you're going to have to do that disclaimer again. <laughs> you could just take things hostage of theirs that they like and say you'll return them if they clean plates. What kind of things would you suggest? Well, oh, what have they well, got? Oh, oh, okay, do I have to do everything, Lucy? <laughs> <laughs> Christ! Christ. Oh, no, no, what, so what are they, what they're are they gold, studying? They're gold fob watch. What's the worst one studying? <laughs> yes, their lands. <laughs> Use your bannerman to seize their lands. <laughs> That's what I do. Uh, what, uh, what's, what's the worst, what, what's the worst uh, offender studying? Sociology. Uh, so, fuck me. Interesting. <laughs> Why don't you take their crayons? I actually don't, don't know anything about it. That's like the stock, like, geography, colouring in. <laughs> uh, and they'll have to stand in for sociology. That's sort of studying in people, right, isn't it? Yeah. Take their people away. <laughs> Humphrey, they don't have people, don't they? they? Don't Not people. everyone does. What about, could you... <laughs> Are they all ladies? Are they, are they, yeah, they're all ladies, aren't yeah. they? You said that. Okay. Take away their right to the vote. <laughs> Lucy, who do you give points to? I think I'm going to go for Humphrey, but not for the votes, for putting the plates in their bed. Yeah. I think that's a good idea, so I'm yeah. going to go with that. Round of applause for Lucy. Okay, let's check the scores. Producer Ben. Michael and Brett have two. Margaret and Humphrey have three. <laughs> It's time to meet someone who actually knows what they're talking about as we ask the experts. Ask, 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 ask. In this round, I'm asking the panel to think like experts. Good ones, not like Andy Townsend. Anyway, the aim of the game is to second guess what our expert guest thinks is the right thing to do in certain situations. So let's welcome today's expert, music journalist Simon Price. <laughs> Simon Price. I'm so excited, Simon Price. I read your book when I was young. Really? Yeah. Wow, you're one of the 20,000. Well done. <laughs> right, Paddle, in a moment, you're going to have to second guess what Simon would do in some pop journo scenarios. But before that, you've got a chance to get to know him a little bit better with some carefully chosen questions. Have you ever thought about getting a proper job? <laughs> well, it was either this oh, or stand-up comedy, and this seemed like the lesser of two evils. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen the coin that music journalists flip to decide whether or not they like Morrissey? <laughs> I happen to have it in my pocket at the moment, actually. <laughs> if you were on a desert island and you could have all the records in the world or a monkey butler who made you food, what would you choose? If a monkey butler who made food could also use the kind of bones and leftovers of that food to play a tune and I could teach him, yeah. I think that's got to be monkey jukebox butler. <laughs> um, what, uh, what's, what's the deal with Catherine Jenkins? <laughs> this, is, this is Humphrey, man of the people. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Enemy. She, she does music. 
Is she right? I don't know. I'm not very good on music. Is this because I'm Welsh and you think we all know each other? And, no, uh, it's literally the only yeah. musician he's heard of. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, have, you, have you got a favourite band, Humphrey? Have I got a favourite band? Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably the mass bands of the household division. I think. <laughs> no, I'm only being very silly. Uh, very silly. We're, we're cutting after that. So here's the first scenario we put to Simon. You have been asked to review David Bowie doing a top-secret gig at the 100 Club by Rolling Stone magazine. They are paying a handsome sum for your copy. You have a press ticket, a voucher for a shandy, and access all areas pass, which means you get to go into that room at the back with the gross fridge. Swanky! <laughs> this night is going to be amazing, but oh no, you have fallen asleep watching a Jeremy Renner film. We've all been there. <laughs> and wake up to realise you've missed the gig entirely. Your deadline is in two hours. What would Simon do in this situation? I feel genuinely genuinely panicked. <laughs> Can I just say well done for pronouncing David Bowie correctly, by the way. I really judge people on that. I did say Bowie for a long time because because he called his son Zowie. How oh. does Zowie Bowie work? Zoe. How do you know it's not Zoe? Because it's not spelt Zoe. Tell that to Zoe Bowie. Deschanel, no, mate. she can fuck off. You've got to step up. <laughs> she can't spell either. Oh, sorry. Anyway, yes, scenario. Anyway, so scenario. Simon has missed the gig and he has to hand in a review. What do you think he would do in this situation? Ring Bowie and ask him to do it again? <laughs> yeah, because we're At like At your that. house? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I assume me. that's the... Bowie, can you give us the gist? <laughs> <laughs> you can surely wing a fake. You just say, oh, I don't want to spoil it. But it was seven. really good. Well, It was really good. It was really that's good. <laughs> I well, I think Simon would turn in a fantastic 700 words about how on the way to the gig he saw a house burning down full of orphans and he had to rescue them and so didn't go to the gig but then Bowie called him up afterwards and said, nice one, Simon. <laughs> and the phone, it was even better than a, a secret gig. Simon, what would you do in this situation? Well, it's a tricky one. If you miss the start, it's fine, because these days everybody takes tablets to gigs. I don't mean the Sean Ryder, Bez type, but people who do are arseholes, because, you know, you're holding up this kind of glowing A4 sheet of paper, which ruins everyone's experience. And yet it's brilliant for journalists, because it means that everything that ever happens in the world now is filmed. And also, as long as your deadline isn't, like, right that second, it'll be on YouTube. You know, setlist.fm will say what all the songs were. If you miss some of the gig you can get away with it. But yeah, I mean, it can really go badly wrong. A friend of mine, Chris Roberts, was reviewing Susie and the Banshees, and he went to see them, he left before the encores, and he gave in this review, and this is before the days of text messaging and the internet, and it was the most beautifully written start, middle, end, it ended on this beautiful, succinct summary, this beautiful sentence at the end, and he gave it in. And then the news broke over the weekend that Susie had fallen off stage and broken a leg in the encores. So basically, this review ran. The review as it stood, and then at the end, Oh, by the way, she broke her leg. <laughs> if you want me to say now who I'd give the points to, I really like the way Humphrey got really creative with the burning orphans. And to be honest, quite a lot of my stuff reads like that anyway. So let's go with that. Points to Humphrey. Points to Humphrey. Turns out you don't have to know anything about music. <laughs> so, Simon, you've been booked to do an in-depth interview with a notoriously grumpy pop star, think Lou Reed, R.I.P., but much, much worse. He turns up flanked by flunkies, wearing sunglasses and a big hat, and the first thing he says is, I had to miss a colonic for this, my bowels hate you already. 
You've got a 90-minute slot booked and his people will make you stay there every single minute because they're desperate to get some good publicity for him. So what would Simon do in this situation? I think um, you have to make something out of the bowels thing, don't you? You sort of say, OK, let's talk about the colonic. What's all that about? And hope that that spins into 90 minutes of shitty gold. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, you used to interview people on MTV, didn't you? Yeah, I've met, uh, I've met them all. I did two days of interviewing bands. I, the first band I ever interviewed was Coldplay. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think they're below par, but they're, you know, they're very big. And they said, um, this really is your first interview, aren't you? are really nervous, because my hand was shaking holding the microphone. Went, don't worry, don't worry, just calm down, it'll be absolutely fine. And I went, oh God, no offence, I'm in no way nervous about interviewing you. I've literally just been told my next person is Madonna. <laughs> You aren't even registering right here. I don't care. Did you interview Madonna? Yeah, do you want know what my interview with Madonna was? It was, hello, she said, hello, that was it. That was literally it. And then I was told to go away. Humphrey, you're very hello. charming. Have you ever, has anybody oh, Daniel, ever hated you when they've you. met you? Well, if, uh, having an accent like this means that 90% of people just hate you on sound if not on site, uh, you know, uh, just interacting with normal people uh, in a way that... It, no, it's saying things like that, calling, calling them normal people. Oh, no, I don't mean to, to differentiate myself from normal people. I just meant, like, uh, normal people who are not my friends, people that don't see beyond the frosty hauteur uh, uh, that, I, that I shield myself with. So, Simon, yes. you've got a grumpy pop star. How do you deal with this situation? Well, first of all, if it is Lou Reed and he's got some kind of bowel problem I kind of want to see the nappy you know I think what I'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking in terms of photo opportunities here but what you often get with pop stars is that they've done 20 interviews in a day and they're just recycling the same answers over and over again and what you've got to do is somehow put them at ease and you can do it by almost being a stalker and being obsequious to the point of, you know, if they're obsessed with Save the Penguin, you go in there knowing everything about the crisis in penguin life, you know. It really doesn't matter what it is. Just pretend you give a shit. Um, and who would you give points to on that answer? I think for being rude about real-life pop stars, it's got to be Michael. <laughs> Michael Legg! You didn't answer the question! All right. I, I, I can't remember the question was a long time ago. <laughs> Before you go, Simon, is there anything you would like to plug? I haven't got a book out, but it's about time I did. There's a very old one. It's out there on eBay. You can probably pick it up in charity shops. Go and buy that. It's, it's really, really good. good. Yeah. It's a good but if, only if you like things. Yes. It might have a book out by the time the podcast comes what out. What about your right, nightclub? Guys? When do you plug your club? Oh, yeah, I do a glam rock night in Brighton called Stay Beautiful and an 80s one called Spellbound. There you go. Turn up to that. It's really good. Thank you very much, me, Dan, Liz, Simon Price. <laughs> The scores are that uh, Michael and Brett have got three and Margaret and Humphrey have four. Do the wrong thing! Do the wrong thing! Do the wrong thing! In this final round, I want the panellists to tell me what is the wrongest thing to do in any given situation. The winner gets a fancy pen engraved with the words Big Medium. <laughs> the round ends when producer Ben can't control his horn any longer. Right, first question. You wake up to find your penis is invisible. What is the wrong thing to do? It's not really a fair question because, I mean, my penis is invisible. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> it's wrong to forget that the rest of you isn't invisible. And so if you think, oh, brilliant, I'll start using this on people, they'll know. <laughs> Step on it by mistake. Yeah. 
<laughs> hey, anyone? I'm inferring mine's really big and I can step on it. I can't, it's not true. It's pretty normal sized. Colin Firth asked to borrow 10 pence for a cup of tea. What's the wrong thing to do? Give him 9p and then laugh for a month. Um, accidentally bankroll Mamma Mia to Papa Pia. <laughs> a ghost asked to inhabit your body for fun while you sleep. He pays £5 an hour. What is the wrong thing to do? Put it on. Woo, tube. <laughs> Not set oh, up a God. direct debit because ghosts are very unreliable. <laughs> You can unlock any door just by wishing. What is the wrong thing to do? Forget to put your nan in your prayers. (laughs) (laughs) Or or kill a baby dolphin. Uh. (laughs) Well done. Like Seth Blatter, we just don't know when to quit. But thankfully, producer Ben does. What are the final scores, Ben? Well, very excitingly, it's all turned round. <gasps> Margaret and Humphrey have five. Michael and Brett have six. Oh, fuck no! off, mate. No! Fuck you! What? Fuck you! Well done to Michael and Brett. Thanks for listening to the show. Goodbye! <laughs> Do the Right Thing podcast because we never ever ask you for money or give out these slots to actual advertisers. Uh, we have a little word from our sponsors, me and my colleague, right now. Um, please, please come and see my Edinburgh Fringe show, which is on at the Edinburgh Fringe in Edinburgh at half past 12 every single day. That's lunchtime, not in the evening. Half past 12 every day at the Voodoo Room is apart from Tuesdays because I get tired and sad. <laughs> I will definitely be going to see Danielle's show every day. Uh, if it wasn't for the fact that I also have a show at the same time, well, it's on at 10 past 12, stand two. My show's called Tell It Like It Is, Steve. Why is it called Tell It Like It Is, Steve? Come and find out. It was about the time that I realised when I was about 18 that I was a prick. <laughs> what, uh, what year is this? <laughs> Just for future listeners, you know. Oh, I thought you had just had Quantum Leap or something. <laughs> just people who hear this podcast in a year's time or something, you know. Oh, it's, it's 2015, the year Back to the Future 2 is set. <laughs>